0: Alan Kring Productions in association with Emergent Light Studio presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance FIL 240 for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, Corporate valuation alternatives. Now I'll go on rambling for uh, a while, and then at 2:45 I open the quiz, and everyone just gets to live the dream, taking a uh, quiz five. And when you're done, you go. I'll make sure I remember to give you the password so that you have that. I'm trying to think if there's anything else before we go in we're going to look at the numbers the numbers are not pretty at all today it is kind of uh, a wide sweep the markets are in a bad mood right now for one reason or another and it's just a sour day on the street as you can see the Dow is down uh, a third of a percent and then the S&P is down a rather surprising 1.44 percent and then the NASDAQ is in the toilet at two almost two and a half percent down it's just a really rough day out there today and there are a lot of reasons for that but uh, I mean some of the reasons just seem like they're speculative we still have good signs on the economy that it's doing well. The Fed is threatening to raise interest rates. So what is honking off the markets this much? Now, as you can see, crude oil is just basically in the middle of its trading range. It's up uh, a little bit up 2%, but it's nothing to nothing to get excited about at all. It's bouncing between 82 and 88 nicely right now, as I told you it probably would. Gold is getting rather close to that resistance at $2,000 an ounce, you see it right there? Not pleasant at all, an unpleasant little look that the gold has because we're almost near that line. Something is wrong with this. I'm going to have to refresh this screen, but there we go. Oh yeah, it's it's a rough day out there. So anyway, moving on from where we were out uh, with uh, gold. Now crude is down. Uh, crude is was down, and then it was up, but it's just bouncing around. Gold up some, so that's a little concern. Notice silver, which is not as speculative isn't doing anything particularly at all. And so the gold going up is most likely based on speculation of bad economic times. However, we'll just have to see about that. The euro is uh, depreciating against the dollar, and so is the British pound. So those economies must be in uh, less uh, have less positive prospects than ours for what for one reason or another, and the yen is depreciating against the dollar as well. So the U.S. dollar is strengthening for uh, what that's worth. Notice that the Nikkei rose early in trading this was in the middle of the night last night at night last night and then it just sort of bounced around and then it did a sell-off close to the end and then it rallied a little tiny bit at the end now the London they did sort of a similar thing they started out down and then they rose and then went down, and then they came climbing back up again. So there's a lot of volatility out there. It looks like a lot of uncertainty, but it's not a pleasant day on the street right now at all. Let me show you a couple of things real quick here. If you are a bear, well, there are a couple of things you can do, and I'm gonna teach you how to make money having stock prices go down. Most people think, think the only way you make money is if stock prices go up. No, they can go down and you can make money off that. It's called short selling. There is another way that you can profit, make money off stocks falling. You would just take bearish funds, ETFs that are on the sour side. I'll show you a couple. I may have shown you these before. Here's one, SQQQ. That is a bear fund. It's an ETF that's uh, that's bearish. Well, is that an ETF even? But look at that. On a day when the market is bearish, uh, really bearish, that son of a dog is up more than 7.5% in one day. That's, uh, there's a way. Uh, well, I'm a bear. It's a bear market. How do I make money? Go for these funds that are uh, contrarian. They go up when the stock market goes down. Let me try another one here. This is one, I th- this is mostly NASDAQ stuff, betting on the NASDAQ going down. And the NASDAQ, as you can see, went down a lot. Here's one that's contrary on the Dow. Well, that one kind of sucks. <laughs> and then we've got SPXU. SPXU, I think. Let's look at that one first. Yep. Bearish, it's a bear fund. Short, see that short there. Short is bear. Okay, so here we go. It's up more than half a more than four and a half percent. There you go. So you don't have to wait for a bull market to be a successful investor. It's the message that we're getting from this kind of thing right here. I want to look at something real quick here. Look at this. See the beta. This is the SPX, uh, U. Look at the beta. It's negative. That's the contrarian. It's moving against the world portfolio. That's what a negative beta would tell you. And in a case like this, that's what you want. You want it to move contrary, the opposite. And this one is almost three, a magnification of three, on the world portfolio. Uh, it, Taking that to be what beta means. Another one, is that SPX, I think SPXL? No, that's a bull. SPXL is a bull. That one should be, yep, that one's taking a butt bath. But these funds, you can go bull or bear on these funds, and they're not that expensive to jump into. Uh, this one, 70, about 72 bucks a share, for it the one I just gave you the ultra pro short twelve eighty six a share so it's not a costly buy in to the game and that's a bear fund so if you want to be a bear and you want to be a cheap bear then you would probably reach for something like the S&P 500 I didn't have to think of remember, look at the SQQQ how much is that one 21 bucks, twenty one eighty three a share that's for a bare position. Now on the other hand, if you want to do bull stuff, you would go TQQQ. And it's taking a butt bath today. But notice that that one is taking a dive because it is a bull position. It's a long position. And of course, look at its beta. That is very risky. It's going to magnify the hell out of the market when it plays, its, it plays its hand. So there you go. One way or the other, these are the uh, funds that you can look at if you want to take bear positions especially. Now with bull positions they're easy, find ETFs that are normal ETFs or just regular stocks and jump into those. With bear positions, you can do short sales, but those are kind of complicated. I'll show you how to do them, but they require margin accounts. This, you just buy in and you're on the bear side of the market and you hope that the bears win. You stop being chipper and optimistic and you start being uh, pessimistic. These are a way that you can make money in the bear markets. So, the idea that stocks go up that 's the only way people can make money, and everyone loses when the stock market goes down. Oh horse crap! you just have to know a little bit about the markets, and you don 't have to do fancy stuff. just go for some of these bear funds, these short as we call them short funds okay, enough of the boy, look at that bait on that one that 's. That's TQQQ, uh, but yeah, these are, uh, th- these are some of the things that you can do in the market. Now, the last thing that, uh, on stocks, uh, just a few overview words, and I had talked about this earlier, but I just wanna refresh your mind f- for a future quiz, not for this one, and for, of course, the final. Just the basics of stocks, and a couple of different ways that are alternatives for valuing a firm and valuing its equity. Now, the first thing is, just as a refresher from some, for something I did earlier, when I use the word stock, usually when I use that word, what I'm actually referring to is common stock. However, there is another kind of stock, which is called preferred stock. Now, understand that these are both equity. And if it's equity, it has the residual claim. The bills have to pay, be paid in a timely manner before any stockholder can get stock, get a dividend, get anything, or or reinvest in the company. So that's the first thing to appreciate, is that neither of these has... Any prior claim over the uh, debt, the liabilities. However, within equity, the preferred has the prior claim to dividends. The preferred has the prior claim. The preferred has to be paid a dividend, if there is preferred in the company, uh, issued by the company. And only if the preferred is satisfied per the contract itself, then the common stock can get a dividend or get reinvestment in the company. Now, there's a problem here. One last thing. When we refer to common stock, when I say stock, I probably mean common stock. And within that, you have to look at if there is... the classification there could be more than one kind of common stock the the kind of common stock the there's the normal kind you get one vote at a shareholders meeting for each director's position that's open and that's it you get dividends if there's a dividend declared and all of that there could be another kind of, st- of stock there could be this ancient founder stock that would be stock that was for insiders it has probably has supermajority voting to allow the insiders to maintain control of the board of directors it may also have and I am honestly I'm not sure about this but I think I've seen uh, examples where the f- of classifieds uh, where the founder stock had a different dividend from that of the normal stockholders. Not sure about that, but I saw, I've seen a couple of references to it. Now the founder stock is generally, generally subject to rule 144. <laughs> Rule 144 of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 restricts the sale of the uh, founder stock because they probably have inside information. So their certificates at least back when they were printed, certificates were printed, would have a big red stamp on them, Restricted. And that, there were rules under which that stock could be leaked, L-E-A-K-E-D. In other words, a founder doesn't have to keep all of his or her stock, but he can't just sell it to a broker. Hi, I've got 50 million shares of founder's stock, sell them all. You can't do that. There are windows that are allowed, but you have to have an opinion of legal counsel that says this is acceptable to do, this sale is acceptable under Rule 144, and for this amount. There has to be a notification to the SEC, all that good stuff. So in other words, you're a founder, you got 50 million shares, Well, you know, I'd kind of like to dump a half million of those shares. Well, if the legal counsel says, yes, under Rule 144, you can do that for this period of time, then it would be a go. You would file the proper forms to be able to do it and all that. You can even find websites where they list insider trades on stock. You'll see it, and sometimes people keep an eye on that well, what if what if you see the insiders of some corporation all getting rid of stock at the same time? Well, that would be some people's idea of a good. Let's get out of this before uh, it, the founders must know something. So let's get out. So it's one of those things you keep an eye on. At the certain websites will show you that information, and it's good to know that oh these insiders are getting rid of stock. That doesn't necessarily mean that this that these guys think the stock is going to the company is going to hell you might be if I, I've been in companies I uh, I've consulted for companies where the founders they were not paying themselves hardly anything in salary they just plowed forward year after year keeping the company going so when a window opened under rule 144 yeah they kind of, some of them sold a lot of stock that they could sell just so they could make up for all the years that they had gone without much in stock. That's, it's, not a, it's not a sign that the company is going to hell always. It might just be, okay, we just, we just want some money because we haven't been paid very well. And others, it's just greed. Yeah, I want to buy myself a new boat, a yacht or something. But it's not always a bad sign. But if you see a bunch of insiders using 144 at the same time, eh, that might be a little bit more worrisome. What do they know kind of thing. One, uh, but one way or the other, you will not be a, you don't go out and buy founder stock. Once a founder sells it, it's just regular stock, okay? It's just normal stock. But, and then, uh, so, you're not, you don't suddenly become a founder with it. Although that inside, those inside shares, if they have super majority voting rights, they're probably not going to be out there in the market to be sold. However, you saw one example, Berkshire Hathaway. You can buy the heavies, the big Berks. Now, if you just want to be a... Berkshire Hathaway shareholder. You buy the baby Burks. Those are, cost you $337 each. And what's even suckier about them is that they don't really pay much of a dividend. Uh, it's a decent stock, though. But, I mean, it's not the kind of stock that I would be too interested in buying. Beta's low and all that. But if you want to be one of the big Burks brk and participate in the have those supermajority voting rights and all that well let's try that again brka yeah those cost five hundred thirteen dollars and whoa did you see that price jumped by a couple hundred dollars there now down a couple well yeah but that's actually very small percentages But if you wanna be in the big league with some heavy duty, the inside stock, it's right there for you. Now, if you're gonna do that, let me know, and I'll help you, give you some investment advice for a commission fee, uh, which you can, I'm sure, afford if you could buy a a half a million dollars a share. Uh, Some of you will actually have enough money you could do that someday but you probably wouldn't even if you had a lot of money because you'd have to have a lot of money to throw a half a million dollars at just plain old stock, which is really what this is. There's nothing extraordinary about it at all except for the price. But anyway, that's the inside. Now, the preferred stockholders, let me mention those and a little about the valuation. I'm going to write uh, VLT 1.75% cumulative preferred, and I've done this before, but I'm just doing it again. Cumulative preferred, par value, $80 per share. Now, what this means is, first of all, this word right here, cumulative, would not necessarily be on on a preferred stock certificate. If it is, it's quite a thing. But what this says is that your annual dividend will be equal to 1.75% times the face value of 80. It's like a coupon. Remember, you take the coupon rate times the face value. You get the value of the coupon. That's what this is. Really quickly here, let me... uh, uh, let me f- get a calculator up here, and I'll take point zero one seven five times eighty dollars. So every year, for each share you own, you get a dollar forty per share, and that dollar forty must be paid before a common dividend is paid that's why i put that prior there and if it's not paid then the dividend then the common shareholders cannot be have a dividend declared for them now if it is cumulative preferred If, they, if the company doesn't pay the preferred dividend one year, it has to pay it plus the uh, new dividend the next year. And that goes on and on. So as long as it's cumulative preferred, as long as the company hasn't caught up with its preferred dividends, the common shareholders will not get a dividend. So that's the nice thing about cumulative. It's not pleasant, though, if you're a common shareholder. If you were looking around for some common stock, you like dividends, uh, it, you know, a little fixed income, and you notice, oh wait, this company has cumulative preferred. That means if the company ever fell down and couldn't cover its preferred dividend, you wouldn't get a dividend as a common stock shareholder. Furthermore, if it's pre- cumulative, that company could not be able to pay its preferred dividend for years, and you will never see a dividend until it catches up if it ever does. That's how bad it is. Preferred dividend, preferred common, as I said, preferred stock used to be kind of popular, not really anymore, don't see much of it, not as much as you used to. And one thing, companies, they are it's like a real commitment. Now one thing that I have seen is preferred that is convertible, where the company can or it could be the invest, uh, uh, it could be the preferred shareholders can decide to turn the preferred into the value equivalent of common. Eh, that's, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me and the numbers that I look at, but I'm seeing more of that now than I did 20 years ago. Preferred being issued, but it has a convertibility provision in it that it can be turned into common stock, which of course would be good for the common stockholders out there in a way because... Otherwise, that preferred would hold off dividends for the common, it could forever. But if if the company converted it to common stock, then they're all on the same playing field. That would be one good thing about. The bad thing about that would be, if that stock is converted into common stock, it waters down the common stock. Okay, suppose that there are 10 million shares of common stock outstanding. And a million shares of preferred could each be converted to a share of common. That would mean that suddenly there were not 10 million shares of common stock, there were 11 million shares of common stock. So that would water down your percentage ownership of your common stock holdings if you're just a common stockholder. There's one other thing. Oh, by the way, common stock is, preferred stock is easy to price. It's a joke. Because it's a f- no growth perpetuity. That dividend goes on forever. So let's say that the discount rate for preferred stock right now, the dividends from preferred stock is, let's say, 2%. 2.00%. So the price of the preferred... Would be nothing but $1.40 over 0.02. That being dividend, the flat dividend, divided by the discount rate. It's a, it's a classic no growth perpetuity. And if I do that, it should come out below $80. Take 1.40 divided by 0.02. Yeah, that's $70. Notice, just like bonds, if the market wants 2% and the company pays 1.75%, then the price will be at a discount to par. It's like bonds. When the required rate of return by the investors, the yield is higher than the coupon, then the bond will sell at a discount apart it's the same thing it's a very easy a much easier formula but there you go that's all there is to that one thing I I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up with common stock getting off preferred stock for a moment, getting away from from preferred stock. Now, this refers primarily to common stock. Generally speaking, common stock will have preemptive rights. It works like this. I've got 10 million shares of Stock Outstanding. And I want to do a public offering for 5 million shares. Suppose that you own a million shares. that would mean that your position, your, your ownership of the company stands at 1 million shares over 10 million shares. So you have a 10% ownership of the company. Now suppose the company says we're going to do a public offering of 5 million shares. That would mean that the total after the new issue would be fifteen million. That would take you down to a million over fifteen million. That would reduce your ownership position. Take uh, you'd go down to 6.67 percent ownership. <laughs> preemptive rights mean that you have first dibs to keep your position. So in other words, you would have a preemptive right, to buy five million, five hundred thousand shares. So that your final position would be 1,500,000 shares over 15,000,000 shares, which of course would mean that you're back up to... Ten percent ownership. Whoops. One million five hundred. One million five hundred thousand. Over. Over fifteen million, which puts you back up to ten percent. You have the right to hold your ownership stake. You don't have to but you have the right to. Now, the interesting part of this is, well, I'll get into that in just a minute. This is just preemptive rights. That's all it means is that you, this, there are five million shares. There has to be enough shares that can be bought during a certain time period by, by existing owners up to the point where they would hold their position. Now, I might choose, well, I can't really afford 500,000 shares. I could buy 200,000. So you could subscribe for 200,000 under your preemptive rights. You could subscribe for any amount up to what would bring you back to your original position. Anything you buy after that, you're on your own for it. The real question, though, Do you want to exercise your preemptive rights? There are reasons why you would want to to maintain your your position of control in the company. But there are some reasons why you might not want to do that. uh, Some of those reasons (coughs) go to this. The company is going to buy, uh, sell stock. Let's say it's a seasoned offering. In other words, the company's been public. It's got outstanding stock out there. It just wants to raise more money by selling stock. The problem is this. First of all, why would a company want to raise equity capital? As you'll see next week and the week after that, equity capital is a lot, usually a lot more expensive than debt capital. So in other words, the cost, Uh, a company uh, selling common stock to raise money is going to be lifting its weighted average cost of capital. So why would it do that? But there's another reason too. Company, think about the logic. If you are the insiders of a company and you're looking at the stock price and projecting what it will do based upon the company's knowledge of the prospects for cash flows and all that. You look, at the, you look at the stock price. Would you, as the company, want to sell your stock price when you had determined that the stock was near its high or near its low? In other words, if I'm going to sell 500,000 shares of stock, and I'm going to sell. Them. And I think that right now the company stock is at twenty dollars a share. Later, I think that the, I see projecting that in about a year it's going to be ten dollars a share. When would I sell? Do that offering? Would I sell it? Do the offering now when it's twenty dollars a share, or would I wait until it fell to ten dollars a share? The obvious answer is I'd sell it when I, it was at $20 a share. So in other words, there is good reason to believe that companies sell stock when their internal numbers tell them that the stock is near its high, not, and, and that it's going to fall from that high. Otherwise why would they sell the stock when they, wait? oh no, we better wait until it falls to $10 a share. So that we raise five, uh, 5 million times 10 instead of 5 million times 20. No. They're going to sell a stock when they project that it is going to be near its high when the offering uh, is, uh, goes live. That's the problem. You have to be suspicious of stocks. So if you're exercising preemptive rights you would be exercising those like all the other suckers who are going to buy the stock during the offering. So you would want the company to give you some kind of a deal to exercise your preemptive rights. Otherwise, you're just buying it at the high like every sucker out there in the open market is going to. That's a good reason not to exercise your preemptive rights. A good reason to exercise them is that that maintains your control over the company. You had 10% control, and if you don't exercise your preemptive rights, your control goes down to 6 and 2 thirds percent, which is, might not be something you want. You want to maintain your control because that's the only way you think that the company can do what you want it to. What you and other investors have in mind, instead of a bunch of newbies jumping in on it and getting uh, positions. That's about stock and all that. That's the latest it's been today. I think, oh. I don't know. Let me show you one last thing. Valuing the company. The classic approach would say that the value is going to be the sum from I equals 1 to infinity of the free cash flow at year I divided by 1 plus the weighted average cost of capital to the I-th power. In other words, the infinite stream of annual free cash flows, for example, discounted back to the present. Theoretically, that's great. Practically speaking, it's a pain in the butt because you have to project the free cash flows for every year from now to eternity. Typically, we don't do that. We go out about 10 years and every year, whatever we're projecting the free cash flow to be is going to be even more and more uncertain. It's done though we do it that way and that's the way I teach it in some classes there are other ways to do it too and I'll go through one of those right now now there is a complicated formula for enterprise value EV enterprise value but there is a quick dirty way to do it you go to the financial Site like Standard Poor's Global Net Advantage, and you get the enterprise value average of the industry. And then you divide that by the earnings before interest and taxes and depreciation and allowance of the industry. And then you multiply that by earnings before interest, and taxes, and depreciation, and amortization of the company. And this will give you the enterprise value of the company. Like I said, there's a complicated formula to get enterprise value directly do this and that and all that. This is the way that I've seen it being done. It's quite popular. You just go to Standard Poor's Net Advantage and you say, all right, this company is in this industry. What's the enterprise value of the industry? The number will be right there. Okay, what is the average EBITDA of the industry? It's right there in the global net advantage. And then you take the company itself and you look at its financials and calculate EBITDA, in other words, earnings before interest and taxes, operating income, plus depreciation and amortization, which you can get from the free cash uh, from the statement of cash flows. That'll give you a decent estimate of enterprise value, which is one of the ways that we can say the value of this company is. It's just one of those things we do. And it's the short, dirty way. The book emphasizes the more complicated way, but I think it actually mentions that. The mention should be, oh, by the way, this is the easy way, this is the way we do it, usually. But anyway, you've got a quiz to take. I want you to crank it up. And when you are finished with that quiz, I, that's all I have for you. I thank you.